When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to the Cricket Badger podcast. It's good to have you with us as always. And in this one, we're looking back at the England against West Indies test series. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. I uh, must admit, I've really enjoyed the last uh, three weeks of watching the uh, Caribbean guys pitting their wits against the uh, host nation England. And uh, before we get into that, massive thank you to at tvsportsblog.com for the support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Always much appreciated. And uh, give them a follow as well on Twitter at tvsportsblog. But as always, he's joined me for three already to preview the test matches so we might as well get him back on to review it from an England perspective Graham Hardcastle welcome back alright Ashley I've really enjoyed the last three weeks um, we've been denied cricket for so long I would have probably enjoyed watching 22 ants playing to be honest but it's been a, a really good series hasn't it it has it's been it's been competitive it, it, it went the way we thought perhaps not quite as convincing but I think the West Indies have brought a lot to, to this series you know as have England obviously I mean there's been some fantastic moments haven't there um, individual moments and and some excellent cricket played and I think it's probably actually a little bit more than we could have expected really there hasn't seemed to be a great deal of rustiness I I haven't watched the entire series due to due to a few other commitments here and there but from what I've seen it's been really enjoyable and really engaging and it doesn't it hasn't seemed like it's been you know four months since a ball was bowled kind of thing both sides really hit the ground running I, I totally agree um an element of rustiness maybe in the first couple of days, but that you know you, you can't not expect that because these players are finely tuned athletes who haven't been tuned for a while, so it was always going to take a while for them to get into the swing of it. But it as you say, it didn't take very long at all. But I think some massive congratulations, thank yous, whatever you'd want to, however you'd want to phrase it to a the ECB for all the hard work involved in getting that on in a biosphere, which uh, isn't the easiest thing in the world. Never been done before and the ECB have done that, so a massive tick against their name. Thanks to the players for coming across from the uh, Caribbean and obviously the players in England because both sets have had to sacrifice an awful lot to take part in the series. Safe travels back to the West Indies. They're probably, actually, the, the time we're recording this, they're probably just about to prepare to land, I think, in the uh, in the West Indies. They've actually been delayed, haven't they? Oh, have they? Oh. They're, still in Man- they're still in Manchester, yeah. There was, there was a, some kind of issue in Antigua where they were due to land, some weather issue that's, oh, that's prevented them taking off, so they've got to spend another day in the bio bubble at Old Well, I, I like Manchester a lot, but I know which one I'd prefer to be in. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a tweet the other day saying um, when it was raining at uh, Old Trafford, West Indies enjoying this uh, wonderful island nation. It's going to be hard for them to return to the Caribbean. 
pretty grim the weather at times in Manchester in the third test match and uh, the West Indies postcards do it justice it's it's a very very lovely place to uh, to live so wish them well in their their delayed travels then in terms of that but it, it's been a big effort hasn't it to put the series on Graham and praise all around for everybody's efforts in doing that yeah completely I haven't felt the, the kind of watching and viewing experience on TV has been diminished by you no know, crowds being there uh, as I touched on with you in the last podcast or the one before the way that Sky have portrayed this series has been absolutely nothing short of first class. It's been it's been really good to watch. And from work gone on at the Aegeus Bowl to Old Trafford by the ECB, by the West Indies Cricket Board, by the Pakistan Cricket Board coming coming up. That that series is going to start in a in a week or so. It's been fantastic. The administrators get a heck of a lot of criticism for various things that they do some some right some wrong and I think they deserve a heck of a lot of praise for what's gone on over the last couple of months in, in bringing all of this together but it's been superb yeah I totally agree with that I missed Guy off my list and uh, that was wrong of me because they've been uh, fantastic I've, I've been aware of every single ball of this test match I've either been commentating myself this test series or I've been either commentating myself watching it on TV as you say coverage absolutely superb or listening to it on test match special and they Again, absolutely superb. So, you know, from from both of those sides of things, you almost forgot there was no crowd in there because the coverage was uh, exceptional. So, yeah, massive thank you to all parties that have had the uh, series going swimmingly, uh, at times almost literally, at uh, Manchester in the third test match. I've got a bit of a theory, Graham. We saw, uh, going across the three test matches, the the first test match, West Indies, I think outplayed England in every department and, and deserved to win that first test match. It would have been almost an injustice if England had got home on that final day second test match England bounced back and, and did the reverse they were the stronger team and then in the third test match it looked to me like the West Indies had wilted a little bit England deserved their victory and I've, my theory is I mean England have been in their own biosphere as well but they're at home and it, they're in it for slightly less long it's, it's a big ask and I think it proved to be a big ask to get a team coming across quarantining effectively living in two hotel rooms for the duration of a two month stay I got the feeling towards the end of the series that there were a few West Indian players who had maybe suffered a little bit, possibly physically, but certainly mentally as, re- as a result of that. And it's understandable. Yeah, and I think we can probably we can probably talk from a little bit of experience in, in that regard, having covered county cricket, which is which is in a normal summer take take this take this one out of it completely. But in a normal summer it, it is absolutely relentless. And you can get a couple of away games back to back. I seem to remember, was it 2011 when Yorkshire, I think you you were media manager at Yorkshire then and, and they played was it Somerset, Lancashire, Hampshire, all back to back away from home. I, I can remember was, a, 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 I remember a 17 day trip where we went to Egberth, then to Worcester for a one day, down to Taunton for a four day and then across to Sussex for a four day. I had one day off, which right, was okay, travelling. That, that, that's and, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, and then straight into and the T20 season off the back of that. And yeah, there, you're right, there is no let up at all. From hotel room to hotel room to hotel room, probably about halfway through, I don't know about you, but it is the case for me that you just wanted to get home. Yeah. You know, you just wanted a, a complete change of scenery and so and that and that is just a very small snapshot of what the West Indies have had to cope with. I mean, you know, we we were able to go out and there was no coronavirus or anything like that. You were able to go out to restaurants and and walk and run and, and whatever you needed to do. The West Indies haven't been able to do that at all and they've been two months just staring at the four walls and that has to take its toll. There is, you know, there is no doubt about that. 
So, same applies for England, but it was for a slightly smaller duration. But obviously, England are going to be released into the wild for four days. Then they're going to report back for the Pakistan Test series. So they're only get a four day let up there, and then they're going to be back in that bubble again. So that's going to take its toll with England, I think, in the second half of this Test summer. And Pakistan have been in the country for a long time now, playing inter squad matches. It's going to be interesting to see how they cope with it as well, because it's a really alien kind of sterile environment isn't it you know you mentioned the fact that you know this the county season is long but as you said at least you can you can go out at night have a beer and you know a curry or or do whatever you want to in the evenings they haven't got that luxury have they no and it, it, as you say it will be very interesting to see if kind of performances take a dip because of that you know with a little bit of mental fatigue as much as physical fatigue that may well bring pakistan into it a little bit more because Yes, they have been in the country for quite a while, but they will be ready and raring to go. Now, I think England are professional enough to be ready and raring to go physically. I just wonder whether mentally it just might have a bit of an impact. I, I don't know. It, that, that is something that is, is just one of those variables that, <laughs> that you just don't know. It's very, it's very hard to, uh, to predict. You certainly cannot discount that as a factor. Um, within all of this because it is a heck of a long time in 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 a to use your words an alien environment really we've seen haven't we i mean we talked about it before on this podcast about england's slow starts to series and losing a lot of the first test matches over the last few years and yeah four days doesn't sound like a lot in terms of going away and you know obviously recharging the batteries and then reporting back for duty but getting themselves back up after winning the series against the West Indies in such a short space of time. That first test match, they're vulnerable again, aren't they? You can look at it two ways, can't you? The glass kind of half-empty approach is it is very much that. The glass half-full approach is, well, there isn't a great deal of time in between. It's almost as if they're not starting a series, they're just continuing a series in a sense. I, I would hope that they will be able to hit the ground running and and just continue the kind of upward curve of performances in that first test against Pakistan. They should pick the best squad, but we see we, you know the reserves. I had James Bracey on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, who's been in the biosphere with the England squad throughout this this test series, and there might be scope maybe to bring in a couple of fresh faces who have come from outside, who are maybe just add add a little bit of something different to that that environment. I, I don't know. The one thing that has got to be factored in now is the introduction to the calendar of of domestic cricket and players have to be given the opportunity to play some domestic cricket, to play some cricket, whether it's for England or or domestically for their county. I I would rather see a a James Bracey, for example, get some cricket for Gloucestershire under his belt rather than be sat in a hotel room waiting for some cricket. I was a little bit kind of frustrated at the the one day international squad that was announced the other day I was a little bit frustrated to see three reserves named in a 14 man squad really it, what was it Liam Livingston Richard Gleeson and A.N. Other I can't remember who the third name was they're just going to be sat on the backside the likelihood of not playing any cricket and missing out on starting the Bob Willis Trophy for their counties so that's a that's an issue Yes, I accept that, you know, I suppose there are complications around bringing people into bubbles and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just one of those things. I would have thought you'd have enough kind of cover with a 14-man squad, but, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking without the full level of facts. I'm sure somebody who knows that will shoot me down quite immediately and I'll say, yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I, I'd be able to see the reasoning straight, straight away. But here, I, I would like to 
I would like to see young lads who are who have the ability to develop play their domestic cricket this summer and then maybe that chance comes in the winter. I, I can see why you'd want more than 14 if there's an illness that goes around. It doesn't have to even be COVID, does it? But, you know, you, you maybe want a little bit of cover and then you've, you, you haven't necessarily got the ability to bring them in from the counties um, straight yeah, away, have you? I mean, but the, the 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 other thing is, I, I don't understand why the clusters reserves. It's obviously a very strange year. This, and I can't understand why they can't just announce a squad of seventeen and just say that. Why do they have to differentiate? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't give you an answer there. And the one thing I would say about that, about the the kind of reserves and illnesses and all that kind of stuff. If somebody does get COVID, then the whole shooting match is, is off, isn't it? Really, you would think. So you probably don't need a reserve for a for a COVID illness. The uh, the other reserve that you were talking about is uh, Richard Gleeson, Liam Livingston from Lancashire, as you say, and that Lewis Gregory from Somerset was the, uh, the third Gregory reserve. Somerset, yeah. The full squad, if you haven't already uh, caught up with it, Owen Morgan, the captain, Moen Ali, Johnny Burstow, Tom Banton, Sam Billings, Tom Curran, Liam Dawson, Joe Denley, Saqib Mahmood, Adil Rashid, Jason Roy, Reese Topley after injury coming back. Good to see him fighting fit and back in the England fold. James Vince and David Willey getting another chance after the World Cup disappointment. Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Getting back to the uh, the test series, Stuart Broad, wow. 500 test wickets, spine-tingling moment. He held the ball up and waved it around the crowd, um, which wasn't there. Um, <laughs> a, that is an amazing achievement. On the verge of Jimmy Anderson getting to 600 as well, which you know is even better, isn't it? And I'm sure Stuart Broad, if he stays fit, will get there too. On Twitter, I've, I've felt it a bit strange, actually. Purely on rotation, I'd left Stuart Broad out of my team for the third test match. And obviously that was the wrong choice because he was rather exceptional in that third test. But a lot of people have started to say, well, Jimmy Anderson's the surplus man in that uh, in that bowling attack. Neither no, surplus. For me, in the English conditions, if you're playing your first 11, it's Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, Ben Stokes as your all-rounder in your fourth seamer, a spinner... And they another in terms of the third seamer. I'm going to go one further than you there. Playing in any conditions, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, as things stand, are in England's best choice attack. No ifs, no buts. They are England's best bowlers. Pick them. Pick them now. Deal with the future down the line when it all happens. If you want to win matches and you want to be the best in the world, because that is an aim. It's not. It's not just Ashes series to Ashes series. A big aim for this England side is being the best in the world. Anderson and Broad, as of now, as we speak, will help England to become the best team in the world. You've got to pick them, and yeah, there will there will be need for rotation. There was no way I'd have even thought about leaving Broad out of that third test match the reasons being that he had been given a real jolt at Southampton with with that non-selection he'd come back he'd start at Old Trafford in the first test he'd have been sky high I've improved his point why, why did you leave me out in the first place I'll show you he's fit enough to play back-to-back test matches and his performance deserved that and he is to me now a shoe-in for that opening test against Pakistan. Maybe rotation and fitness and all that kind of stuff comes into play a little bit later in that series, but not in the first test, having had four days off, and he'll be riding the crest of a wave at the moment. So so he plays in that first test, Anderson plays in that first test, and then you you maybe look at rest and rotation later down the line. Anderson, for me, has to play in that first test because it's at Old Trafford as well. The ground he knows best, so that's him locked in. 
and then kind of look at your selection around that. I'd left Stuart brought out the third test, and I've not really thought it through because I got a week off between test matches. That is effectively a that is effectively enough rotation, and obviously a decider. You play your best eleven, don't you? So I, I can certainly see that. I, I think with the third position in that team, Chris Wokes in England has to be the the shoe in. I know a lot of people, certainly in the conditions that Old Trafford's been presenting over the last fortnight, it's been a little bit damper. It's been a bit slower than traditional Old Trafford tracks, and. Chris Wokes with his uh, five wickets in the second innings just showed why in English conditions he's almost undroppable because you you look at his average in England, it's low 20s. You look at his average abroad, it's 53, 54, somewhere in that region. So mm. you, you talk about him being a shoe-in at home, but then if you kind of use the, the obvious extension of that, does that mean that you can't take him away at all? You know, away squads, he doesn't fare very well. What, what's the point in picking him? It's, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? I, I mean, Anderson Broad Wokes in that first test. That, I don't see any problem in that against Pakistan. No problem at all. That's on the assumption that, Stuart, that Ben Stokes is able to bowl. Well, Archer would be the odd one out for me then. You know, if, if Stokes was able to bowl, if that's if that's the way you wanted to go. The, the, Wokes, the Wokes situation away from home, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because he's a quality performer. There's no doubt about that. Just, you know, the length he bowls and, and he, he relies, I mean, he's not expressed paces. He relies on a bit of nip here and there that, that perhaps isn't as prevalent away from home as, as in England. So that's maybe your answer. I think he'd always be in my squad away from home. Maybe maybe India, a little bit different. You go to South Africa and Australia, places like that, New Zealand. I think I'd still I think I'd still have him in the squad. I mean, may, maybe he becomes the fall guy if you end up taking three or four spinners to India or somewhere like that. Let's have a look back then at, our, at that competition that we've had during this three-match test series. If you're only just joining us, Graham and myself have been putting up our predictions using the uh, various betting odds available out there the third test match it was awful Graham honestly it's just a series of season of uh, crosses there all of our picks failed it was abysmal well enough said I think we'll we'll move on from that so let's go back to our series predictions and it's maybe a chance to uh, also reflect on who's who's done well in this series at the same time just a reminder I brought in plus 25 from the second test match and Graham had a plus 18 so that's where we start from do we need a drum roll (laughs) Top England batsman, Ben Stokes, 363 runs, and neither of us picked him. You went for Joe Denley. Um, I went for a combination of Root and Pope. And uh, Pope uh, tried his best with 91 in the uh, third test match, but he was never going to overhaul Ben Stokes. 363 runs, just an incredible series. He, he t- took wickets as well, at a low average of about 16-2. And we talked about him in the last podcast, so we won't do it again, but just an incredible, incredible player at the moment. Top West Indies batsman was Jermaine Blackwood. Could so easily have been Shamrock Brooks. He was only 16 runs behind him. And Blackwood's innings in that second innings at uh, Old Trafford just robbed me of my Brooks bet. Because Brooks has, and we said in the last um, podcast, Brooks was pretty much second in every single innings all the way through the series. He's had a really good series, but Jermaine Blackwood with 211 runs picked him to the post. Top England wicket-taker. You went with a combination of Joffre and Bess, and so did I. And we read that one wrong because it was Stuart Broad, who in just two test matches took 16 wickets and was an absolute star at Old Trafford. So uh, congratulations to him on his 500 wickets, etc. We lost our series um, result predictions in the first test match because Westin is winning. Scuppered us both there. And finally, the top Westin is wicket-taker is where... The competition is decided. Now, this is where you do the drum roll. Not bad. I went for Jason Holder, a combination of Holder and Cornwall, actually. Jason Holder was, I think, bowled really well through the series, 
didn't let me down. But you went for a combination of Raheem Cornwall and Shannon Gabriel. You had seven units on Big Shannon Gabriel at four to one. And with 11 wickets in the series, Shannon Gabriel was the leading Caribbean bowler. Seven at four to one gets you plus 35. And unfortunately, means that you have won our competition. Congratulations. I am the bigger man. I will say congratulations. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. I don't think we've got too much to shout about, though, because the rest of it was pretty boring. I didn't exactly um, romp on, did I? I mean, I didn't come home with a blaze of glory. It was almost like John Regis all all those years ago in... uh, (laughs) It, Barcelona, was it Barcelona in 92 when he um, when he limped across the line? You were the last worse of the two of us, I think, in terms of that competition. And <laughs> I, I, I guess really the way to to kind of maybe dig ourselves out of that hole is that it was a very close set of test matches and the first one back after a COVID absence makes it a very difficult one to call and so it proved. Your kind of call on Shamar Brooks was was not wrong, was it, at all? You know, it was a very reasoned view and... As you say, you could have could have so easily brought that one home, which which would have been the almost the best pick of the lot, really, because there wasn't anything concrete to back it up. You were just going on a little bit of what you'd seen from him in kind of previous performances for for, for other teams and at, at his kind of first class record, and it was a it was an outside bet that was so close to coming in. You know, the the, the Gabriel one. I just felt, I mean, he's, he's been one of West Indies' go-to men for the last few years, and I, I really like him as a bowler. And it was that first test that really set it up, wasn't it? I mean, he looked like a tin man for the last two tests, so he, he could quite easily have been caught, but just, just clung round. It was interesting with Gabriel, wasn't it? Because in, in the third test match, he, he limped off after about two overs, and you thought, oh, that's his series gone. And then he came back out, and then in the... England's second innings, he pulled a really nasty spell at one stage. He seems to be able to repair himself during test matches. He almost in that regard got a little bit of Glenn Chappell's about him. If you remember the way that Chappell used to perform for Lancashire, especially in 2011 when they won the title, he got a few injuries but just kept on going yeah. and, and came back and almost produced his best cricket when he was on one leg. And, and that's, that's a little bit what Gabriel's done in this series. Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. Slateapp.co.uk. One final question. And we'll both give answers to this one. England against the West Indies. England winning 2-1. A great series. Great to see cricket back. But if we were going to give a health check for both sides and the kind of a score out of 10 maybe for England and for the West Indies, how would you assess the sides in terms of where they stand at the moment and in, in, in terms of where they want to be? How far along the road are they? It's a funny one, really, because I'm tempted to give the West Indies a little bit of a higher score, actually. Because they've played some excellent cricket. They're not as developed a side as England are. And they've, they've obviously had to contend with a lot more in this series than England have, a lot more disruption. So therefore, I'd be tempted to give the West Indies seven and maybe England kind of a six, really, or even an eight, seven. I mean, England, the, the real positive for England is they were able to, to bounce back and produce some excellent cricket when it was needed and under pressure. That is a major tick in the box. The 
the major cross in the box is, as, we, as we've discussed already in this and, and previous podcasts, their inability to start series well, which, which will come back and bite them on the backside against more established nations in terms of the quality of their side. So, so that is something they desperately need to work on. But England has all the tools to be the number one test-ranked side in the world. There is no doubt about that. It's just pulling them together now. And, and I think you've got to cut them a little bit of slack for, for coronavirus and all that kind of stuff because it, it, it does have a, a little bit of a, a different effect. But get out of this situation, hopefully by, by wintertime, and that series in India carries on and we just move forward normally, in a sense, and England can, can start to really build a side that will be the number one side in the world. The West Indies, if they can get to third or fourth in the world from where they are now, I think that will be a real result over the next couple of years. I've been impressed by the West Indies. You know, since that um, win at Headingley um, in 2017, they've only won two away test matches against top eight ranked sides in the world. So they've added the fourth there. And I've been quite um, amused, stroke surprised by seeing a few West Indian comments about they're very much glasses half empty, West Indian cricket fans. I heard um, a comment the other day to say, you know, if, if uh, West Indies lose, they're terrible. If um, West Indies win, they are still terrible. You know, there's still reasons to, to, to criticise them. And I've seen that a little bit with West Indies fans over the last few weeks. I think as they, as they arrive home, I think the West Indian public back home should be very proud of their team and, and what they've achieved over the last few weeks against a good England side. They've turned up and they've uh, stood toe-to-toe for much of it and uh, go home without the Wisdom Trophy but go home with a lot of pride and a lot of our thanks, as we said at the start of this podcast. In, in terms of England, so I, I think from, for, for West Indies, I'd give them six out of ten, because I don't think they're anywhere near the sides that we've seen in the past from the West Indies, um, but they've got hope. Not shy hope, because I think he should be dropped, but they've got hope. And if they can find a couple, fill a couple of gaps, they, they're certainly moving in the right direction under a very good captain and under a very good coach, I think. I think there are two decisions in the um, second and third test match that Jason Holder made at the toss. He may look back on in a few months when he's actually had the time to sit and reflect and think maybe inserting England at Old Trafford wasn't the best of ideas. I should have trusted my batsman and trusted us to get 350 plus. And uh, who knows what the results would have been from there. In, In terms of England, I think there's still a number of questions. I think they're starting to get answers to the opening opener slots. I will be interested to see what, Burns and Sibley produce against really quality attacks in terms of the you know the world's best in in terms of Australia and and India and against Pakistan because Pakistan got some very good seamers over the next few weeks. I sort of think there's a big question about maybe one of the batting slots in the middle order. Zach Crawley's looked great at times, but I think um, you know he's young and we need to see more from him and need to see that upward, upward trajectory over the next eighteen months. Butler as the wicketkeeper, he's done enough in that third test match to, for me to have got off my high horse about dropping him. But I'm still not convinced about Joss Butler and he needs to convince me over the next three test matches that he warrants keeping those gloves over the coming winter and beyond. And I think maybe a little bit of a question mark in terms of the spin department. Don Bess, terrific with the bat, terrific in the field, maybe didn't quite show enough penetration with the ball. I really like him. I like his attitude and I like him as a player and I hope England stick with him. And I think when they go to India, it'll be Leach and best. But he needs to improve. If England are going to be world number one, they, you need a top-level spinner. 
and I don't think England have quite got that yet, but they've got the potential to get one if they if they persevere with the right people. Do you not think a Leach and Bess axis in a test match would be a little bit same? Left arm, right arm. I, 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 real, I, real, I realise they both spin it. I, I would just like a little bit of something different. I would like to see Bess and Parkinson. Well, I really would. I'll tell you, you know. what. I'll tell you what I'd like to see. And we don't get what we want, do we, in this life, as Rolling Stones used to sing about. I'd like to see Gary Balance at number three, and I'd like to see Adler Rashid in there. But I'm a Yorkie fan, and for me, they are. That's the best spinner in the country, and it's the best one of the best batsmen in the country. But for some reason, England don't go down that route. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't blame them for not picking Rashid because he, he doesn't particularly want to play four day cricket or, or or red ball cricket. So I can't I, I completely agree with you on Balance. I mean, he, you know, he should have been in for years, but that's. That's a completely different argument, and I, I think I think everybody who, who who talks about you know talks about he's had his chance and and all that kind of stuff they're, they're blatantly wrong with, with balance. It, it just you know they just probably don't see enough cricket. He's got the ability and the the, the record behind him to be a, to be a top class international player, and still. But going back to that, I, I would just like to see a little bit of spark somewhere. And and I think that Parkinson would would add that. Yeah. And I, I would have no problem with Rashid if he if he wanted to play international cricket, if he wanted to play international cricket, and uh, sorry, if he wanted to play Test match cricket, of course he wants to play international cricket. He's playing white ball, but if he wants to play Test match cricket, then then at the moment he would probably be the the, the number one. But unfortunately, he's not. I, I just I, I, I rate Parkinson a heck of a lot. I would just like to see him given a crack. I won't have any, any problem with uh, Parkinson coming in either. Um, I think if you go to Indy, you, you take three, and maybe Leach, Bess, and Parkinson would be those three. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Mo- they move Moeen on. Moeen as well. Moeen seems to have kind of... I've seen a lot of people calling for Moeen to come back into the Pakistan series, but he's played no red ball cricket since he was dropped from the test team, and he was dropped from the test team because his performances weren't very good. And I know there was a mental health issue potentially behind all that as well, um, so I'm not kind of belittling that aspect of it but I think you know if you if you drop from the test team and I know these are weird circumstances and there hasn't been any red ball cricket I take that on board but you know his first his first response to being dropped from the test team was to go off and play franchise cricket around the world in T20 not to go and get his head down and prove himself in red ball I'd like to see Moen in a Worcester shirt in the whites scoring loads of runs and taking loads of wickets and saying Lord Kingland test selectors I am back and I want to play at the moment, he's kind of like drifted around in the background and all of a sudden, because Best maybe hasn't taken quite as many wickets as people want him to, all of a sudden, Moeen's back in the test side and he's done nothing to warrant that. He's done nothing to deserve that. He would he would be a very useful commodity to have in a squad going to India, though. Would be very, very useful. He, he's got he's got test match performances behind him. There's no doubt about that. I'm not saying he's um, a bad player, but I, I just think it's um, kind of confused selection. If you drop somebody, they've done nothing in between, and then you pick them back again. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, you know, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't have him as as one of three spinners going there, as one of three frontline spinners going to India. I, I, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick him ahead of Beth Leach or Parkinson. I mean, Verdi potentially comes into that as well, doesn't he? He was in that 55 man training squad. However, I think I might be tempted to pick him in a squad especially if it if it's extended I was going to say with, that yeah with covid restrictions yeah. still knocking around I think I'd, I'd be tempted to stick him in a squad I'd have no objections to that I've got nothing against Moeen and when he's playing well you know he's a, he's a terrific player uh, and we'll see that over the next few days in the uh, the England he, he, is, he is one of he is one of those players who has who has 
flair and spark about him, isn't he? Especially with the bat. You know, he, when he gets going and when he when he's in form, he is fantastic to watch. And almost it just strikes me as one of those players who who immediately just needs like one shot or one wicket just to get him going, and then all of a sudden he's off and running again. So so maybe he doesn't actually need too much too much behind him in terms of red ball performances. Maybe he just needs get get going in a warm up game and and up. Almost instantly, something clicks, and he's he's back to feeling great again, and and, and king of the mountain kind of thing. My my score for England will be six out of ten, because I I don't think the West Indies are a fantastic side. There is still a lot of work to do in that England Test team, but I think the positive side of that, and it's strange to have a podcast with you where you're the optimistic one. Um, the the podcast with that, uh, the upside with that is that I think Chris Silverwood's come in and he's shown proper respect for Test cricket. They're getting the they're getting the tactics right on the whole, and they're they're being attacking when needed. But they're batting long, and, and they're trying to bat long in that first innings, which is a good sign. So I like that. I like Joe Root's captaincy. He came back in those last two Test matches, and I think he made a difference as captain. So there's a lot of positives there. But I think England is still very much a work in progress in Test cricket, and they may be tested a lot more against Pakistan over the next month. Yeah, I mean we're not a million miles away in our in our kind of numbers. You know, sixes and sevens out of tens, weren't we? You know that kind of kind of range uh, pretty much the same view really just just look ahead as, as one last point that Pakistan side I mean we've seen Pakistan sides in the past you never know what you're quite going to get with a Pakistan side do you with all due respect to them they can be absolutely astonishingly brilliant or they can turn up and be a pile of doggy poop yeah we've seen that in one day cricket we've seen it in test cricket if we get a Pakistan side that have got themselves hungry for three test matches in England they have ammunition to really hurt England if they want to. It could be a very exciting series, this one coming up. Yeah, without without doubt. Uh, I was going to say, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was 3-0 England or 2-1 Pakistan kind of thing. You know, I, I think I'd be surprised if it was 3-0 Pakistan, but England are the better side. But a series win here wouldn't completely surprise me. We'll get you back on this podcast just before the Pakistan series starts to do our Serious predictions for that, because I'm going to hold you to coming back on for those three test matches because I want to win and you've beaten me for the West Indies. So I want to claim pride back by beating you with the prediction competition for the uh, Pakistan series. Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not available now for the rest of the summer. <laughs> it's been good to have you on for the uh, West Indies test you'll have, series. You'll have to contact me, agent. I'm just about to big you up and say goodbye to you and you, you've got no grace as a winner, have you? He's gone quiet. <laughs> it's been it has been chucking aside. It has been very good to have Graham Harcastle on for these uh, this West Indies series. Graham, great to see cricket back. Great to have you back on the podcast, and I will see you soon, mate. See you soon. Take care. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much, as always, to Graham Harcastle for joining me on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. We'll hear from Graham again as we preview the Pakistan Test Series very soon indeed. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their continued support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. And if you can follow the Badger at cricket underscore badger. And if you like the podcast, and judging by the comments I've received during lockdown and, and after that lockdown has finished, a few of you got into it during the lockdown period. Well, stay with us. Plenty of great guests coming up over the next few weeks and if you could like and subscribe and leave a nice comment that would be much appreciated by me I'm James I am the Cricket Badger and I'll see you next time when I bring you the next edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast Cheers all
Social Podcast Network.